Hi, I'm Rail Bricker, and I'll be one of your hosts for the Business Excellence Podcast. Hi, and I'm Lindsay Adams. I'm the co-host. And together, we're going to be talking about what makes up business excellence. And we believe that you can never be perfect. All you can be is excellent. And in our businesses and in our lives, we want to achieve excellence. And that's why this is the Business Excellence Podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. I'm Rail Bricker, and with me is my co-host from Brisbane, Australia. Hi, everyone. It's Lindsay Adams here. And our special guest today, Billy Selikani from Johannesburg in South Africa, a global speaker, organizational culture expert, and outspoken champion of Africa of African leadership. Welcome, Billy Selikani. Thank you very much, Walter. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you to your listeners. Billy, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back again uh, on our podcast. And you've been um, quite outspoken on some aspects of African leadership. And, you know, it's the, the economy's been up, it's been down, it's been sideways, it's been every ways. Um, what's going right? What's going wrong over there? Help us understand, because it's a great country. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like we talked about with culture, if you can get your culture right, that the company thrives. What's the story with, with the leadership in your country at the moment? Well, I think, I think it goes back to, to this very fundamental question that every country should be asking and most people are grappling with. Is it party first or country first, you know, in politics? And, yeah. and we've seen, in, in, sadly, that it has always been party before country. And once it's party before country, then we have a problem. And in South Africa, that's what has happened. In South Africa, we, we've, we've, we've had a, a very sad past and a very good beginning. And, and when I'm saying a good beginning, I'm saying when the new dispensation started, when Nelson Mandela became the president, he set a foundation based on humanity and based on the fact that we connect not as black people, not as white people, but as South Africans, we build this nation. And then the theme was the rainbow nation. You know, the theme was we will work together like the colors of a rainbow one vision, one value system, and moving forward to rebuild what has been done wrong. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And it was such a very powerful thing because even the things that happened around us, we won the Rugby World Cup, we won the Africa Cup of Nations. So things began to come together because there was a new birth of a new nation, you know, and, and everybody was excited that, you know what, we can quickly bury the past and build a very powerful and robust future. So that was a very powerful beginning. And then when Nelson Mandela was about to step out, then within their party, the ANC, there was then the tussle for power. That who was going to take over from him. And there were two incumbents. Uh, there was Tabambeki and there was Cyril Ramaphosa. Now Tabambeki was from the exile group and Cyril Ramaphosa from the inland group, the guys that never went to exile, but that stayed behind. And eventually the guys from exile won and they won because Tom Mbeki was closer to Oliver Tambo, who was the patriarchy of the struggle with Nelson Mandela and many other political nuances. And when then Cyril Ramaphosa left politics and was deployed, deployed by the ANC into business, into understanding business so that the ANC can then be able to understand what kind of policies they need to create to make business successful. Then Tom Mbeki's uh, reign started and all things just went well and there were new policies that were put in place. But within that time, there was a taste of power and the taste of shiny things by most of the guys that came from exile. 
And suddenly there was a power struggle and everybody thought if we have, if we're in power and we have the keys to the bank, we can do whatever we want. So slowly there was this group of, I would simply call them mercenaries because they were in it for the money and they still are in it for the money. Right. It's got nothing to do with different policies. It's got nothing to do with a different ideology. All it has to do with is, pat- is, is patronism. It's if I've got the keys to the bank, I can buy people's favors. And towards the end of Tawambeki's era came Jacob Zuma, who literally unscrewed the screws that Nelson Mandela put around that country, completely unscrewed them. Wow. And everything just went haywire. You know, everything just, I mean, for the nine years that he was in power, we've lost over three trillion to corruption. Institutions have fallen. We've got over 720 state-owned enterprises, all of them technically bankrupt. So things started to fall apart. However, when things were going that way, we started to fight back. The normal men in the streets started to fight back. The corporate started to fight back. Uh, Civil society started to say, we can't go on like this. And people within the ANC themselves started to fight back and say, we can't carry on like this. And that fight back culminated into what we're going through now, which is called the State Capture Commission, where they're doing all kinds of investigation based on all the corrupt activities that had happened. But what I will tell you is the will of the people, if it was not the will of the men and women on the ground, right. this could not happen. Because now what happened is you found pockets of leadership. And, and these, these are people that I call leaders without titles. These are men and women who are just true patriots, who love this country, and who would stand up and say, not in my name, you know. And some of us being influencers, we then had an ability to go into the community and influence positive engagement and say to people, you know, yes, things are not working well, but it's not a lost cause. We can, we can recalibrate this nation. We can change things. And we started, you know, running, you know, mentorship for young boys, you know, because we realized that, you know, the endangered species in all of this is the young men in the townships who, when things are not organized, might end up being criminals and going to drugs and those kind of things. So we started building a, 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 a partyless, leaderless movement that wants to transform the nation. And that's what's happening now, which is quite exciting. Uh, the, over the weekend, we had a, 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 a lunch where we invited some men for a conversation about how men can help society deal with gender-based violence, you know, which was very successful. And, and so you've seen now what we now call active citizenry. People are now realizing that you don't just go and cast a ballot and sit back and hope things are going to happen. You cast a ballot, but you hold your politician and your ward leader accountable for what is happening. So we've seen a rise, which is a beautiful thing, by the way. We've seen a rise in, in, in the accountability of people. And we've seen leaders who are quiet now standing up and saying, this is who I am, this is what can I do, and this is what I'm going to contribute. And that is a beautiful thing to watch. So, Billy, do you think, um, I mean, what we're talking about here is it's culture. You know, in our last podcast, we talked about culture and values. And really what you're saying is that uh, the South African people have decided what their values are, and now they're going to, um, you know, share them openly, willingly, um, and, and change the culture of the country. Yes, yeah. And, 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 but what, what is missing again, if we looked at our previous conversation, what is missing again, it's a, a, a philosophical direction for the nation. Nelson Mandela said we're the rainbow nation. 
and that got us together. Now, in this era that we're in, and a lot of people are, are saying, I should meet the president, blah, blah, blah. We'll see. Maybe I'll meet him. But I believe that the same process that we use for organizations, we can use for the country. Yeah. I believe that we can create a clearly defined uh, a, a national culture driven by very, you know, we have a thing called the ND, uh, NDP, National Development Plan. It's a plan. You know, it's a very technical plan. But we don't have a clearly defined vision. We, the rainbow nation has, has, has fallen apart. We need to bring, we need to come up with something that's going to bring us together. We need to define those five values. Because what I say to people, I say, if me and you have an argument, it doesn't matter if you're black, you're white, you're colored, you're Indian. If me and you have an argument, we must be able to hold each other accountable by saying, what you've just said, it's not, it's not South African, based on this value, on these values. And at the moment, we don't have that. And... Yes, a lot of people have been saying, you, you must talk about it, talk about it. But yeah, I think I'll find time and, and I'll, I'll talk to the president and I'll lead I'll, I'll so, such a the process, yeah. So if we step out of the, uh, the, the South African political situation at the minute and just take this now to a business context, what's the three things as a business owner, if you want to change your culture, what are the three things that you would have to do to make that happen? Simple the steps. First, the first one, you've got to redefine your organizational uh, philosophy. You know what is the what is the intangible that makes the tangible happen in the organization? That's the yeah. last thing. The second thing you've got to say once you've defined this philosophical uh, DNA of our organization, what then is the governing structure, which is the values? What what will govern us in doing that? And the third thing that we have to do is how then do we reward good behavior and not punish bad behavior, but uh, and make sure that people who behave badly are retaught re the value system of the organization so that they can move in the same direction with everybody else. That, you see, that because in a lot of organizations, people there's the reward and recognition, but then people want to punish. And I say, once you want to punish people creating a negative culture, it must be a culture that is restorative. You must restore people back into the fold of your organization. Instead of saying, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to take you to HR, I'm going to take you to a hearing, and then I'm going to fire you. It doesn't help. Because then it creates that fear. Then, then you're running a fear-driven organization instead of a love-driven organization. Because when you love somebody, when they do something wrong, you restore them. Yeah. And, it, and it, I think it, those are the three fundamental things. Really, in, in my, my wife is a teacher, and the school where she teaches have introduced something in a, in a cultural way, I guess, called restorative justice at a school level, yeah. at a primary school level. And yeah. they, they actually talk about... You know, and you, you half the kids can't pronounce the word restorative, but <laughs> they talk about restorative justice, where 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 they where they try and equalize out the the punishment, if you want to call the negative terminology, but to restore the 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 the, the kids to the right path of of, of direction, and yeah. and it's interesting that you use the same word in, into into politics. Let me ask you the question, you know, having grown up myself in South Africa, having been out of there for 20 years, but having experienced the World Cup when the, being at the African Nations Cup final in, 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 um, at the, uh, was the Barclay Stadium, uh, the first FNB. national stadium, FNB Stadium, um, and, and having stood in the queues in May, you know, to, you know, in 1994, to, to vote in the first democratic elections. You, you spoke about party first versus country first. Was mm -hmm. a lot of that driven by the fact that 
the voting was done, you voted for the party and those were party faithful who were made up the first and well up to now the groups of parliamentarians as opposed mm. to being able to speak out on their own passion for the country? Mm. But you must remember that uh, people voted for that party because of the Freedom Charter. The Freedom Charter was a document that was created to, to restore the nation. Okay. And people voted based on that mandate of that document, which was the most powerful manifesto ever written in the continent. But sadly, that manifesto was not followed. So people still had the country first. But the people that had the capacity to restore this country were people that had written that document in the, in the 50s. And unfortunately, the same people did not follow that uh, manifesto. So people, even though they voted for a particular party, they voted for that party because it was the party that for many, many years wanted to restore the nation. Okay, so, so if we take that into the business context now, you know, mm. you were talking about, you know, you know from, 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 from Mandela to Mbeki, et cetera. Well, mm. in the corporate sense, when a lot of boards say, well, the big problem is our CEO is rotten, we need to change the CEO. And, mm. and you work in the culture space. Does yeah. changing the CEO necessarily start the cultural revolution or does it have to go much deeper than that in the organization? Well, it, it's a double-edged sword in, 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 in the way that uh, some CEOs, they become so powerful that they become cultic. They almost become like a cult, you know, and, and therefore people see them as a little god. And once you remove them, then you're able to change the organization. But some CEOs are so embedded positively within the organization that when you change the same CEO, there's a danger of, 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 of tearing the organization into pieces. For every move that any board has to do, it must never be driven by emotions. It must be driven by science and data. What does your data say? And you can only get data when you do proper diagnostic. And certainly a lot of organizations don't use data to make decisions. And, and we're living in a world where we, you know, technology helps us to make very clear decisions based on the data. So it must not be an emotionally driven thing. It must be something that is driven by data and it must be clear when you remove the CEO, that there has been a lot of uh, succession planning that you're not gonna yank one CEO and go and fetch another stranger and put him in and he or she comes with their own ideas and completely destroyed what has been, what has been built. So I believe that before a board, and we have the same challenge with, with, with uh, organizations that we work with, where in the middle of an intervention, either the board changes or they want to get rid of the CEO. And in most instances, we are able to help people come to a restorative place to say, let him finish the process proper, because if you yank him out in the middle of a process, the whole thing is gonna fall apart because he is, by the way, or she is, you know, the, the, the torch bearer for your organization. So yeah. before you make those decisions, you've got to really, really have good enough data to give you uh, the right mechanism to make that decision. Otherwise it goes very, very bad. So sure. Billy, you, you mentioned the data and I know that your organization and your, your team that you work with in South Africa um, works with cor corporations to gather a lot of that data. So people yeah. who've been listening to these podcasts and uh, the two interviews with you, if they wanted to get hold of you to look at their culture, to help you generate the data, what's the easiest way of getting hold of you um, right now? They can go to my uh, consulting website. It's uh, www.intelligentedge.co.za. Intelligentedge.co.za. And look for Mr. Billy Selakani. Yeah, boy.
That's where they'll find me. And in social media, I'm using my name. And in LinkedIn, I'm using my name. But uh, that website, it's my consulting website. It will show you all the work we do Perfect. and some testimonials as well. Well, Billy, it's been an absolute delight to have you on our podcast again. Thank you so much for your time. And I'll pass it back to you, Raul, to close off. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lindsay. And my thanks again to Billy Silicani from Johannesburg. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Business Excellence Podcast. 